Welcome to the Audit 15 Fun Podcast. My goal with this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table at least every 15 days. Today, I have an exciting duel to the internal audit profession. I have as my guests, none others than Richard Chambers, former president and CEO of the IIA, and Norman Mark, former chief audit executive and author of many books, and Richard is an author of many internal audit books as well. So just to give some background here to the audience so they know what it's going to be covered, we're going to be talking about opinions and ratings. Thank you, Norman, for writing the article that you disagree with Richard. That was easy to come up with the duel. Uh, Richard, a little over a year ago, wrote, wrote an article, and I'll quote here a little piece on ratings and opinions. So. Regarding ratings, Richard mentioned that he once had a CEO tell him that he greatly valued an overall rating for each audit report that that person received. And on opinions, he believed that assigning opinions creates potential risk for internal auditors. Auditors must exercise caution whenever assigning opinion. And I'll let Richard here expand on this in just a few seconds. Norman Marks, in his response article, wrote on ratings, I hate ratings. What do they mean? And on opinions, Norman wrote, professionals are entitled to an opinion. That opinion can be born of experience rather than objective facts. So gentlemen, for the benefit of the audience really quick here, you have three minutes for the intro part. And each of you will have three minutes to respond. And then each of you will have two minutes to make your conclusion. So beginning with Richard on opinions and ratings in the internal audit profession, your time starts now. Thank you, John. John, it's great to be here uh, with you and uh, to uh, join my good friend, uh, Norman, to have uh, what I think will be a, uh, a friendly uh, discussion about a topic. Uh, that both of us have expressed some opinions about. There we go, opinions already. So let me let me say at the outset uh, that ratings uh, in audit reports, uh, I think, are a, a topic that get a lot of attention. I've written several articles over the years. One of them I said, are these ratings lightning rods or lights? So some people see that they shine a light right where it needs to be focused. Other people say, no, they're, it's not worth it. The lightning, they're lightning rods because they cause so much tension and controversy with management. But the, the reality is that it's a widespread practice. Um, the survey that I did last year said that more than 60% of internal audit departments have some mechanism for rating the overall results or even sometimes ratings and in individual findings. And there are a couple of approaches that are used. One is to use some sort of adjectival uh, rating system like satisfactory, unsatisfactory, needs improvement kind of thing. Um, some, some use numbers. I've even seen uh, systems that use colors. Um, I, I don't necessarily think uh, that it's something that has to be done. I, I, in fact, would probably, if I was a CAE these days, probably be trying to figure out how to uh, minimize the tension that they create. I, I still hear from uh, students in my seminars all the time about how much uh, tension it creates in the audit resolution process. Because what starts to happen is people are focusing almost exclusively 
on what you rated them and not what the content of the, the, the report is. So I think that there are plenty of drawbacks, but I, as I've pointed out repeatedly, we, we should always strive to be as, as customer centric or client centric as we can be. And if that's what uh, our clients are seeking, and uh, that includes uh, uh, the audit committee and the C-suite, uh, then I think that it's something that we should try and, and achieve. But we should go into it with our eyes wide open and recognize that it's going to undermine some of what we're trying to do. Now, the other piece of it has to do with overall opinions. And there I say, I could certainly support doing overall opinions, issuing an overall opinion, but only, only if the body of work uh, is sufficient to justify. And I'm sure that uh, Norman's got an opinion about that, and we'll come back uh, in the uh, rebuttal uh, and talk a little more about this. Norman, the floor is yours. My goodness. Thank you, Richard. Uh, as always, uh, a lot of truth in what you have to say, that um, opinions can be a lightning rod. They can create tension. But I look at it from the perspective of those of our customers, as you say, customer-centric. And what do they need in order to, to run the business effectively and to know that they can rely upon the organization and its processes, its people, its systems to function effectively and manage the risk to the objectives of the organization. And I think about a young child who runs in and says, daddy, daddy, money, money, there's a monster under my bed. And you go over to his or her bedroom and you come back and you say, well, I had a look and I didn't see anything. And Richard, you talked about this, which is negative assurance. And a child doesn't want negative assurance. They want to know that they really is safe. It's safe to go to sleep in that room. They want some positive assurance. Now, certainly there's risk, as you put it so well in your article, that you may be wrong. And there may actually be a monster under the bed and you told your child is safe and it wasn't. Well, there's risk if you, even if you provide negative assurance that you've missed it, just because you say, based upon the work that I perform, I didn't see anything, doesn't get you off the hook if there really is something. So I think we need to understand what it is our customers need. And they need assurance, advice, and insight as the mission and the definition and the core principles all say, on the effectiveness of the company's organization and its processes. And this is why I don't like traffic lights. Traffic lights or, or red, yellow, green, or even satisfactory, unsatisfactory needs improvement doesn't tell me as a business manager whether I can actually rely upon the company processes and systems to manage the risks. I just did a survey myself, a similar kind of audience to you, Richard, and about 9% don't provide no rule opinion on the adequacy of controls over the risks. 19% use traffic lights. 41% talked about the controls are effective. And just 23% do what I think should be done which is to say that we are trying to audit and provide assurance that the risks to the enterprise are being managed. And that is the assessment, that is the, the, the opinion that we should be providing 
the information that is valuable to our customers, whether it be in the C-suite and on other risks being managed effectively. Richard, your response? Well, Norman, I, as always, I, I enjoy the analogies that you make uh, there. And I think it's a perfect analogy for me to use to illustrate my point. If, uh, if you wanted to uh, provide assurance to that child that it's safe to be in that room, but you only went in and you looked under the bed, you didn't look in the closet, you didn't look behind the curtains, and you went back out and told the child it's safe to go in there, did you fully, did you fully execute your responsibility in that case? I think here's the point I would make. As, as internal auditors, what distinguishes us from mere inspectors and others who try and provide people with feedback or insight, we have a set of professional standards. And those standards are very clear when it comes to what we need to do to offer an opinion. So standard 2330 is on documenting information. It basically, it says that we must document sufficient, relevant, and reliable information to afford a basis for conclusion slash opinion. Now that's on a, an engagement level, right? But the standards go further. They actually talk about what we need to do to be able to provide an overall opinion. And they point out that when an overall opinion is issued, it needs to take into account strategies and objectives and all that good stuff uh, from the organization. But it concludes by saying that the overall opinion must be supported by sufficient, reliable, relevant, and useful information. So my point merely is this, and I, I don't disagree or I don't oppose the issuance of overall opinions. I, I think it's great. And, and I, I readily acknowledge what your survey found, that a, a large majority of internal audit departments do issue some sort of overall opinion. My concern is that that's often done without real, without real concern about, did I do enough? Am I potentially uh, going to provide some sort of false positive uh, assurance here? Uh, and so what I always caution is, if you didn't do enough, if you didn't do enough to satisfy uh, the, the standard 2450, uh, then what I would say is at that point, you should do some qualification. Otherwise, I think you potentially set yourself up uh, to be proven wrong should there be uh, something that happens that you felt like you had uh, provided assurance wasn't the case. I'm not going to disagree with, with what you said. Or maybe I am. Isn't it? So... 20 years ago, I was, I was a member of the professional issues committee and we wrote a practice guide on how to issue opinions. And let's remember, this is just an opinion. There's a difference between an opinion and an evaluation in my mind. And we can say this is an opinion, just like any other professional, a doctor or even a mechanic. We are giving the most value when we are able to provide that positive assurance. And the way in which for the entirety of my professional career as a leader of, of internal audit departments, what I said is that we don't do the audit and then reach an opinion. What we do is we start with the objective of reaching an opinion. And we understand what it is we need to reach an opinion on. We're providing an assessment of, of whether the controls are adequately designed or operating effectively to manage the risk. That is our objective at the start is to reach, do enough work, the right work to do that. 
So going back to the child again, if you, if you know that what, at the end of the day, you need to provide that child with assurance that it's safe, you need to do more than just look under the bed. And you need to do that as part of your audit when you divine, design the scope of the audit. You do what is necessary to reach an opinion, and, you, and most important, you don't do more than what is necessary to reach the opinion. This is one of the things that causes too many internal audit um, engagements to blow out of control because they're doing far too much work. They're auditing what doesn't matter instead of auditing what is necessary, what does matter to uh, reach an opinion. So if you start with that objective in mind, then you will do enough work. But at the end of the day, uh, what I've done many, many times is separate what I can, if you like, have growth for from what I believe, based on my experience and, and, and judgment, management needs to know. So there are things I'll put in the audit report and there are things that I'll tell them in private and have a discussion. And this is one of the things that I've been talking about for a long time, the audit standards. The IIA standards do not require an audit report in writing. They require that we communicate. And the best way to communicate is in person where you can actually have a discussion. And that is the best way to communicate and have go backwards and forwards. You can avoid all that tension because you're actually having a discussion. You can agree upon the facts. You can discuss the implications and you even more, most important, you could agree upon what needs to be done, if anything. Richard, your closing remarks. Well, Norman, I absolutely agree with you that the most effective way that internal audit can communicate, particularly with key stakeholders, particularly with the audit committee, is face-to-face. -face. One of the things that I've been told repeatedly over the years by audit committees, when, when I ask, what is your assessment of, of the, the work internal audit does for you, is... This, this phrase of, I wish they would connect the dots more. They give me 40 audit reports and they really never stop to tell me what it all means. So there is no question in my mind that there's an imperative here for us to be able to connect those dots, provide some comfort, some assurance uh, about what, what it is that, uh, that we've seen and what we've found. I just want us to be careful. I don't want us to put our reputations at risk. I want us to follow the standards and make sure that we have done enough work to be able to provide that assurance. So the standards are a minimum set of expectations. They don't limit what we should be doing. And my favorite song for internal auditors is the song called Brave, where we need to be willing to take that bit of a risk and to tell, tell management there's an elephant in the room or the emperor has no clothes. We need to tell them the bad news. We can't be afraid of losing the ability to get a smile out of their face when we walk in the door. Whatever it is, we, we have to build a constructive relationship of mutual trust and respect. And we do that by sitting down with them and having a discussion, but not being afraid of telling them the truth, which is our opinion, I'm sorry, but your controls don't meet the needs of the organization. And we need to be able to tell them that in a non-confrontational way and work together to get things right. Thank you, gentlemen, for 
joining the audit duel. It's been a pleasure and an honor to having you both. As I said in the first duel, I'll let the audience decide. But thank you so much for your valuable input to the internal audit profession. Thank you.